0: Yesterday was my beautiful wife Angie, who's in the back working the nursery today, along with my daughter. It was me and her 28th wedding anniversary. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Give all the praise to God because it was His, Him who saved our marriage by bringing us to this church some 20-something years ago, where we got marriage we were came for marriage counseling, but we got saved and didn't need the marriage counseling. So we've been married for 28 years. We had a wonderful day together yesterday. I, she said, Pass me my lipstick, and I mistakenly passed her the glue stick, and she hadn't spoken to me since. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a dad joke that I, I couldn't resist. It did not happen. Wait, wait a minute here. My, my note fell out of my folder there i was going to show you this note you remember i told you about this note uh when we were dating we were so madly in love and i had to go to an all-male uh family reunion down on the coast and we were on a boat and whatever and I, we were out there in the middle of the ocean and at that night i opened up my suitcase and she had written me a, a note and it says all this lovey-dovey stuff you know and, and so I, I folded it up and put it in my billfold, that, and it stayed there for close to 30 years. And that's why it's so pink now, and the, the ink is faded, and, and the pages was tearing and everything, so I I put that plastic stuff, what do you call it? Laminated. I laminated it. And I took it out of my billfold because I didn't think it was going to last much longer there, but I put it in my, my thing here, and I thought it was safe until just now. <clears throat> but why do you suppose... This is important to me. Is it some kind of special ink? Is it, uh, you can cut that down a little bit if you want to. I think I'm plenty loud. Is is it because the paper's high quality? You know why this is important to me. It has nothing to do with with its uh, natural worth, does it? What does God value the most? What does God carry in the palm of his hand that's always with him? Today we're continuing our series, In Your Household. We've been talking about, you know, lifting up our family members in prayer, asking them to come to our church service at least for uh, Easter coming up. Uh, we're going to believe God for our family members to come to Jesus. And today's message is, is part four the and la- the final one of this series. And we're going entitle, to entitle it Worth It. Because you're, I believe you're going to find out today that whatever effort you put into winning your family members is definitely worth it. John fifteen twelve, Jesus says, this is my commandment. He's basically summoned all the commandments up. He's saying, this is the thing. (laughs) You know, the thing. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way. Say "Same same way. I've read this scripture a thousand times, but I never really paid attention to that same way part. Have you? Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. You know, Jesus is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. And love is his way of causing his truth to bring us to life. But it must be given in his way because you can take the truth and cut somebody up with it. And many churches do that, man. I see injured Christians all the time that won't go to church anymore because they've been cut up with the word of God. But Jesus says that he speaks the truth, how? In love. We need to know his way. Say his way way. of doing things. (laughs) You know, back in, during World War II, the Nazis coined a term called unworthy of life. They used this term to justify Pushing innocent young men, women, old men and women, little boys, and little girls into the extermination chambers by the tens of thousands. You say, how could someone be so cruel? How could they not see the value of these lives? But because they coined a term, they said they, they decided in their heart, that they're unworthy of life. Who are we to decide that someone is unworthy of life? A Kentucky man recently killed five members of his family because his wife brought him his breakfast cold. In Florida... A man killed his roommate with a sledgehammer because he failed to replace the toilet roll. I think we're losing sight in this generation of the worth of a soul. Google how many people die each year over a parking spot. I was amazed. But Jesus places the utmost importance on the human soul. Say it's his way. We're going to learn his way today. Genesis 2-7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You see, the dust of the ground wasn't worth much. But God breathed life he breathed himself into that clay and gave us the breath of life and man became a living what a living soul genesis 1:27 so god created human beings in his own image anything created in the image of god has intrinsic worth beyond what we can think or imagine He gave us free will to decide as he has. But one thing is amazing. He made us eternal as he is eternal. We are eternal living souls. And in light of eternity, with the prospect of of spending eternity after this life in a place called hell, Or a place called heaven. I think we need to rethink the value of a soul. I would not want my worst enemy. I was at the gas pump this week. (laughs) Wow, what an experience. (laughs) Last week it cost me over $100 to fill up my truck. And so I got there this week, and I was fixing to pump the gas, and I was thinking to myself, you know, you just thinking, I'm thinking, man, it's going to take a long time to pump all this gas. It's $100 worth. But it took the same amount of time as it usually does. <laughs> How does that work? I think just the dollar thing was moving faster, but the pumping thing was moving the same. <laughs> I thought it might take longer, but it didn't. But why is the price so high? Because somebody knows that's what we're willing to pay. And all of you have heard a thousand times, from me at least, that our worth is determined by what someone was willing to pay for us. You know, Jesus gets to determine our value. You say, why does he get to do it? Well... He's our creator, for starters. And then when we sold ourselves into slavery to the world and to the devil, he redeemed us. He bought us back. He's bought us twice. I think he may get a say in the matter. We belong to him. Know you not that you were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus? And even those we may call the least of these, He values. Oh, he values kings and priests, but he values lepers, the demon-possessed, the sinners, the tax collectors, the broken, the lonely, the downtrodden. Whatever category you may see out there on the streets, whatever category you may be told that you're in, he values you. He leaves the 99 to come find you. He sweeps the house looking for the one lost coin. He is the good, good father that stands on the front stoop looking for the prodigals to come home. He values us. And we ought to value each other the same way. There was a woman caught in the act of adultery. I don't know if it was right before Jesus was there early in the morning. I don't know if it happened just then or maybe they had put her in prison overnight or whatever. But the teachers of the law and the Pharisees in John chapter 8, they brought this woman and they thrust her in the ground at the feet of Jesus. They didn't care about this woman a lick. They had no concern for her well-being. They had no concern for her reputation. They just wanted to make a mockery of her and they were trying to use it to make a mockery of Jesus. No respect for human life or human dignity. And they said, Jesus, the law says that she ought to be stoned because she was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus is bending down writing in the dirt. They said, didn't you hear what we said? They thought, surely, either he's going to say the law is true or he's going to say it's not, and then we got him. They knew he must be compassionate. They knew he, he didn't want to, he wouldn't be the one who would want a stoner. So how is he going to get out of this? And he says, Let you without sin cast the first stone. And all these guys stand around with big stones in their hands, just waiting for the word. To snuff out a life. They're like, oh, we didn't see that coming. And then the oldest drops his stone with a foot. He got us there, man. <laughs> and he walks off. And then the others, from the oldest to the youngest, I, the youngest were probably the hardest to convince. Man, I wanted to get my first stone in hand. The They're the ones that's so and They think they know everything. But the oldest kind of have grown some humility and maybe a little compassion along this road called life. But pretty soon, it's thud, 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 And they all walk off, and Jesus says to this woman who the world has placed no value, he says, where are those who condemn you? She said, they're gone, Lord. He says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He not only taught us about grace and mercy, but he left her with words. Go and sin no more that she might come to find out her own worth and value her own life. She might begin to think more highly of herself if she were not caught in, in this sinful lifestyle. And isn't that what Jesus does for us all? Say it's his way. Every soul has God given worth. Every soul. Even if even the ones not living up to it. <laughs> Sometimes we just are quick to give up on folks. Sometimes we're not that quick to give up on folks and we just, we're amazed at the new lows they seem to get comfortable in. I know there's someone in my life right now that's like, I have tried to help over and over again. I have financially prayed for, ministered to took food, provided shelter. I have helped and helped and helped. And every time you help them, it seems like they just get happy in their new low. And then they, before long, they sink even further. And I'm like, surely this is your bottom. But it just, it just the bottom doesn't seem to be a reality to them. And they learn to flourish at the bottom. They're bottom dwellers. Should we give up on them? I'm not going to say that there doesn't come a time where you have to ask, your, ask God, am I just being an enabler or whatever? Maybe I should just pray for them from a distance. Maybe they're, they're wreaking havoc in my family and I have to judge which is more important or whatever. But I tell you, as they recently sunk to a new all-time low and tragedy struck, Even though I had told myself I was not going to help again, you know what? The love of God compelled me to help again. There's something about this love that has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost, you see. We can't be like the world. We can't just turn a blind eye to all this suffering. Or we shouldn't, I say. God never gives up. (laughs) As many of you can attest, thinking back, God did not give up. You know, you just look at the history of God. He gave us life. He gave us a planet to have dominion over. He put us in a beautiful garden. He walked with us. He said, I'm going to help you through all this stuff. And even when we betrayed him, he came looking for us. He came calling our name, where are you? He knew where they were. Then he clothed our nakedness with compassion. Later on, when we sold ourselves into slavery in Egypt, he delivered us. And we hadn't gone through the first couple of days of the wilderness when we were ready to turn back. Do you remember when the, the Egypt is always a type shadow of the world's way of doing things. It's a type shadow of the world in the Bible. Most often the way I, at least the way I interpreted it. And we were in slaves to the world, you know, and God delivered us out of that slavery. And we began, we said, we're going to live for God, but it wasn't a couple of days later. We're like, Oh, I'm going to go back to the, I'm going back to Egypt. You remember? That would have been a good place for God to give up. But what did he do? He didn't give up. Even when he, he, he waited forty years, you know, for for people to get at least enough faith to walk across the Jordan River on dry ground and enter the promised land. He gave them houses they didn't build and wells they didn't dig. He gave them everything and they were living in the promised land. And what did they do? They celebrated how good God was. No, they forgot the Lord, their God. And I see that happening all the time. People come to church, they get saved. God gives them a new job. God's blessings come into their life. And what do they do? They begin to say, well, I got it all together. Now I don't need to go to church. I don't need to serve God. They begin to leave God out of their prayers. They begin to think that, hey, I did all this. Look at me. Do you see a pattern? God could have easily given up on humanity. He almost did at times. But God is love. And so he sends prophets and preachers to the people to say turn back to god check out your sinful ways man realize what's what's happening here and what did we do oh yeah okay i got you you reminded me i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to remember god no we killed them we stoned them we burned them at the stake jesus tells the parable Of the tenant farmers, it's called, I think, where a landowner, he dug a a pit and built a tower and had a vineyard, you know, all ready to go to produce fruit, and he left some tenant farmers in charge, and he said, I'll be back, you know, I'm going to go away, but I'll be back to receive my share of the fruit, and that what God has done, he's gone away, but he's coming back for the fruit, that that parable that Kirsty just shared with us this morning, You've been given talents, and what have you done with it? Have you produced fruit? And so the landowner sent some servants to collect his portion of the fruit, and what they do? They killed them, stoned them, mistreated them. He said, I'll send some more. He sent some more. They did it again. Then in Matthew 21, verse 37, it says, Finally, the owner sent his son, thinking, Surely they will respect my son. But when the tenant farmers saw his son coming, they said to one another, Here comes the heir to the estate. Come on, let's kill him. Let's get this estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him, and they dragged him out of the vineyard, and they murdered him. And then exactly... What they did to Jesus, they brought him outside the city gates and made him carry his cross to a hill called Calvary where they pierced his hands and feet and lifted him up and they murdered him, the son, thinking that we can have all this glory to ourselves. We don't want to share it with God. Turn to Isaiah 53. Look at your neighbor say God never gives up. Say it's his way. I believe that we're going to learn God's way. I'm going to start in verse 3. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced. For our rebellion. Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Who is this talking about? Anybody know? Are you sure? All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. And no one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He was struck down for our rebellion. He had done no wrong and he had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. It was his way. When Jesus was in the garden, he said, Father, if there be another way, the Bible doesn't tell us what God said, but I believe God said, Jesus, you are the way you must drink of this cup of suffering for the rebellion of pastor guy, brother Nicholas. Some of you are saying, please don't call me. (laughs) Have you ever thought about what Jesus was feeling on the cross? You know, we have today, we have cameras everywhere. We catch everything. We get to see the inside scoop on everything that happened. Don't you wish we had a glimpse into what Jesus must have been feeling on that cross? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn to Psalms 22. In verse 1, before I get there, it starts out, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Who said that? In verse 12, it gives us a glimpse into the way Jesus felt on the cross. It says, My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in. Like lions, they open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing their prey. My life is poured out like water, all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. And my enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and they throw dice for my clothing. Who's this talking about? I can't hear you. Jesus. How do you know? How could it possibly be Jesus. Because Psalms 22 was written 1,000 years before Christ was born. 1,000 years before they had even invented the torture called crucifixion. My God. Isaiah 53 that we just read. Written 700 years before the manger. How could this be about Jesus? Because your worth was decided long before you were born. God's value on your soul was determined even before he created the heavens and the earth. And Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. God had already determined. God in his foreknowledge knew that we would sin. He knew the wickedness that we would become through sin. And the loaves that we would sink to and get comfortable in. But he was not willing that any should perish. Long-suffering. First Peter 1.18 says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. The precious blood, our shameful history washed away in the righteousness and the righteous blood of Jesus Christ. That's a good place to shout, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What does God consider worth the blood of His own Son? Your soul. And what does he ask of his washed ones? Yes, that we love one another the way he loves us. Loving the least of these in this world should not be viewed as an imposition. It should be viewed as our calling. We need to get our thinking straight. Every time I complain about helping someone, loving someone, praying, having to go feed someone, giving somebody a ride, loaning them money, I should not see it as an imposition but my calling in this life. It is who I am. It is what I must do. Because I love him. He loves me. Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, you're doing it to me. It's his way. Matthew 16, 26 says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is there anything worth more than your soul? And I ask you that question. Is there anything worth more than a soul? God says it's the most valuable thing on all planet earth. In all the world, a human soul. And there's nothing that we can hold on to in this life if we have to desert all our plans, all our dreams, just to win a single soul, it would have been worth it. If I lived a thousand lifetimes, God is asking us to partner with Him. He says, He who winneth souls is wise. He says, Come share my glory. Save up for yourself treasures in heaven. What are the treasures in heaven but the souls? You say, well, there's, they've paved the streets with gold. Nothing compared to the worth of a soul in heaven. Don't give up on others. I'm encouraging you today, whoever you wrote on that list, and if you ain't even got your list out yet, write you a list and begin to believe God for those people in your life that don't know Jesus. As if it's your calling and not an imposition. I don't care if the ink in their life is fading and the paper is beginning to crumble. It's what Jesus has written about them that matters. That makes their life valuable. We write each other's sins, but Jesus hangs them on his cross he wrote the law on our hearts. He wrote us a 66-book love letter and a pardon written in his own blood that we may know him and that our names may be written in the Lamb's book of life. What he has written, he has written We'll close with Isaiah 49, 15. Can a mother forget her nursing child? (laughs) It'd be hard. Can she feel no love for the child that she has born? He says, but even if that were possible, I will not forget you. See, I have written your name in the palm of my hand. Always in my mind is a picture of Jerusalem's walls in ruin. What does that mean? Always in his mind. He's thinking, My people are down there and their walls have been brought down, and the enemy can sneak in there anytime they want and pillage and kill my people. I can't get this vision of what they're going through out of my mind. I want them to, I want to be their wall. I want to build up a wall in their life. I am concerned about my people. I love them. I've written their names in the palm of my hand. John 15, 12. This is my commandment. Love each other the same way. Say the same way. I have loved you. I pray that God puts it in your heart to see your calling is to be a winner of souls, a lover of the least of these and to love the same way that you have been loved. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with it? If there's anybody in here today that you feel like your life, you're walking through this life just with filthy garments on. You feel like You've got a weight of the world on your shoulders. You don't know where you're going when you die. You don't know what you're doing tomorrow. Maybe this life and the guilt of your sins is about to take you down to a new low and you are tired of living at the bottom. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. I am a life. And when you come to me, you have eternal life. I don't want to be separated from you, God would say. My son spilt his blood on the hill called Calvary. It ran down that old rugged cross into that dirt. But it was the price that he and I were willing to pay for your soul. And if it would have only been you lost, I would have still come, Jesus would say. So to take off... That filthy clothing. Run home, you prodigal son, you prodigal daughter. The Father's waiting for you to come home so that He can put a new robe. And it's called the robe of righteousness upon your shoulders. That you can be right with Him. He wants to put new purpose on your feet called sandals. He wants to put a signet ring of the family on your finger. He wants to party He wants to show you how to live life, life more abundantly. And He wants you to produce fruit. He wants you to make a difference. He wants your life to count. So stop running away. And today, run to Jesus. Run to the cross, to the foot of the cross. There is more than enough room at the foot of the cross for God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's what He created you for. Ecclesiastes says He has put eternity into your heart. And you know the judgment is coming. And the judgment will be this. What did you do with my son's death on the cross? And did you allow me to resurrect you like I resurrected him? If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, it is the price of a soul living eternity in heaven. It's all he asks faith, repentance towards God, and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. You've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You're willing to humble yourself right now. Raise your hand high in the air so that I may pray with you. I see two hands. Is there any others? You can put it down. Maybe someone's watching online today. God sees your hand from your living room or in your car, wherever you are today. He sees the, your heart. He sees like we can't see. He sees on the inside. He knows your every thought. And if you're willing today to confess Him as Lord and you believe in Him, He will send eternity into your heart. He will send the light back into your life. And your relationship with God will be restored. And as brother Buddy was talking about this morning, he will give you a white stone with your name written on it. I was reading something about that this week where it said that in the courts in those days, if they found you guilty, they would give you a black stone. If they found you innocent, they would give you a white stone. And God wants to give you a white stone with your name written on it today. And declare you innocent because of the blood of Jesus. So if you raised your hand, or even if you didn't raise your hand, but you're willing to make this profession of faith right now, and make Jesus the Lord of your life, pray with me. Say, God, I repent of my sins. I want to live. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Jesus, I believe you died on my cross. And on the third day, God raised you from the dead. Father, raise me from my spiritual death that I may be with you and the Lord Jesus forever. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help my life count. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast today.